You're listening to Atlas of Chiropractic, the show where we uncover upper cervical chiropractic care for healthcare professionals, students, and potential patients. I'm Dr. John Stenberg, and with my co-host, Dr. Cameron Bearder, we are your guides to a behind-the-scenes look at the science and practice of upper cervical chiropractic. Welcome to the Atlas of Chiropractic podcast. As is tradition, periodically, uh, there are events to attend. And when we attend events, it's it's good to just kind of debrief, you know, and to give folks that listen an idea of, of what the conversations are in the upper cervical community, what's going on, uh, what things you are maybe missing out on or, or what things um, you may have experienced, different takeaways. And so got two, two guests with me today, Dr. Cameron Bearder and future DC, Paul Adams, also the uh, Blair Student Scholarship recipient for 2023. So following in a, a line of recipients, I think, did Al get it last year? I think the Al year Cobb. before he Dr. got Dr. Al Cobb, previous recipient. Uh, so it's it goes to someone who has, as a student, been a leader. You know, and I think Paul has really, I mean, almost single-handedly, with, with the help of some, you know, of Ben uh, and Brendan and a few others at Life, like you guys have really, honestly, you know, brought awareness of Blair. You know, there's a lot of electives, but you guys have created a, you know, a really solid community of folks that are interested in upper cervical work and Blair technique. And we had like record student attendance. And uh, that was that's in large part to your efforts. So we appreciate that, man. And, and it doesn't go unnoticed. I know you've, you've spent a lot of additional time besides studying, besides boards, besides clinic, uh, doing that. And so I hope that the younger students appreciate it. But we acknowledge it. And I, I've told a few students, and you guys are way ahead of this stuff than I was at that time. I was just barely interested in upper cervical by 12th quarter. So uh, you're, you're well on your way, man. So I've got Paul and Dr. Bearder with me. And I think the way we're going to break down this Blair conference is just kind of take it two, two days at a time, you know, so we've got Friday and Saturday content. Uh, let's just recap for the folks what we did. I'd uh, love to hear what you guys got out of it, key takeaways. And we'll just kind of jam about the experience of all of it. Cause we had Almost 180 people in attendance. We had how many students? Like 30 or 40 students. Yeah. Um, tons of students that were certified. Tons of docs who were certified. So it was, you know, hitting on all cylinders. Um, first question, though, Paul, I was going to ask you how, explain the student certification process, because this is a brand new thing that the Blair Society is doing. So how does a student get certified in Blair? Great question. So. I think every university got an email sent out to them, uh, the Cupheads from the Blair Society. And it was a two-part thing. So the first part is that you, I I can't remember if you had to go to a primary or not, but you had to be an active member of the club and a Blair member on the website as a student. So that was the first requirement. The second requirement was a you had to pass the written exam so it was around a i think it was a 50 40 to 50 question written exam on google forms and so i've taken about three primaries and then two intermediates before that um my my previous quarter i took the blair elective at life university and so i say that because the 
the level of questions, like the difficulty, is on par with what the amazing Dr. Herman teaches during the elective at her final. So it's, you know, it's it's pretty intense as far as the four basic listings and then some of the axis listings as far as what angles are and what views. What is your line of drive? What's your setup? Um, you know, contraindications, history, etc. So you have to pass that. Once you pass that, then you get the go ahead and you then send in four videos of the um, various adjustments. I think it was like an Atlas anterior, Atlas posterior, C1, or sorry, C2 or axis anterior, C2 posterior. And you have to have a video demonstration and then you say the verbals like everyone does in chiropractic school, like my line of drive is this. Torque is this. I this do is- that with patients, by the way. Yeah. In normal, <laughs> normal things. <laughs> things that patients want to know before yeah. you adjust them. You say, and then I believe that's sent off to two random advanced instructors to grade, not from your school. So Dr. Chris Lee and Dr. Herman, who taught the live few students, they were barred from looking at our exams or our, our submissions. And so nice. then we found out if we passed at the annual. This past time. I'm glad it wasn't a handout. You know, you guys had to put a little bit of effort into getting that. Because sometimes with this stuff, it's like, you know, you just want to encourage students to participate. But you guys actually had to put some effort, you know, into into the certification. It means something to you then. You, yeah, you become more comfortable and more familiar with the material. It forces you to study it in the middle of all the other stuff that you're working on. So cool. Well, I'm proud of you guys. I, I I thought that was a really cool thing to add to the conference, just to acknowledge the students that have been working hard because you don't get pats on the back for that stuff throughout the year. It's like of all the techniques and things that you're learning, um, it's, it's easy for that to kind of get lost in the chaos of school. So it's nice to be acknowledged for your efforts sometimes. One thing too, with that, just like a last minute thing that I talked to sort of the clinic director about today is now that we have the student certification and we have that process outlined, we describe the process to him and that's going to help us be able to practice Blair in the student clinic a little bit more awesome. uh, officially. So that's a unintended consequence of that, which is, you know, very welcome. Yeah. And and honestly, here's just a behind the scenes look for you, Paul. The reason stuff like this ends up getting developed, it's a supply and demand thing. Well, we end up with a bunch of on fire students who are like, How do we how do we get seminars on campus? How do we get speakers to club? How do we get certified? Is there a certification? It forces organizations like the Blair Society to adapt to the needs of a growing student interest. And uh that actually creates more opportunity in the future. So again, that's you know, fruits of your labor. So that's pretty awesome. And in the future, more docs will be, this is what I was thinking at this conference because, you know, having conversations with students, like you guys are sharp, man. Like you're, you're thinking about things, you're asking good questions, you're putting yourselves out there and networking and shadowing and doing all that stuff. Like there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for docs to hire associates that are, are way more ready to go than even mm-hmm. the few years that, you know, in the few years past. So I think that's awesome and a really, really, really good opportunity. All the more reason, this is another thought I had for you docs to make sure you're brushing up because these students are, they're getting after it and they're learning and they're sharp and they want to show up in an office where someone's going to continue to build them up and develop them and add to the total experience for the patients in the clinic. So uh, you can't be some 
you know, fuddy-duddy old doc who hasn't done any training in a while, hire one of these young guns. They're going to hold your feet to the fire. So um, I'm proud of you guys for that. So awesome. So let's get let's get into the content because we were pretty pumped to have Dan Murphy as our keynote speaker this year. And we got a lot of Dan all at once. So we <laughs> definitely had Friday morning, all morning, Dan Murphy. We had about four hours of content uh, with a break in between. So I, I personally have not heard him speak before. Uh, and the topics were upper cervical subluxation research. He talked about some neurology. He also talked about some biochemistry, which I know is something he's strong in. And as a chiropractic orthopedist, you know, he talked to structure too. So you guys have any, uh, any key takeaways from Dr. Murphy's presentations, anything you thought were worth mentioning for the folks that didn't attend? Go ahead. Uh, so no, to your question, um, the one word I kept hearing a lot from Dr. Murphy was symmetry. He was talking about symmetry. He referenced, um, upper cervical, he referenced chiropractic biophysics, which he uh, actually helped develop. And, you know, that's something that we talk about uh, within our little circle. And that's something that we educate patients on. And I think without getting too deep into it, I think that it's important for Blair practitioners and Blair students to realize the difference between global symmetry and articular symmetry, right? We focus as, if you're a Blair doc, you focus on an articular symmetry, but, um, most of the research, actually all of the research, is on global symmetry. And that's one thing that uh, especially the new, the new doctor generation, so Paul, uh, and all of these students getting certified, being more aware of that global symmetry, which is what he was talking about. If you dig into the research, uh, Dr. Stenberg, I believe that you covered something recently about the, uh, was it pulmonary function or cardiac function relative to kyphotic posture? That wasn't segmental. That's global. And so... You know, not saying that we need to abandon the segmental model, but the 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 global symmetry is something that I think the the Blair approach could probably incorporate. And when you have someone like Dr. Dan Murphy, who is what do you say practicing for 42 years, I think, uh, 42 years in total, when someone like that speaks, you know, you want to listen. So that that's I just kept hearing that word symmetry, symmetry, symmetry. So it's I've been dwelling and thinking, pondering on that over the last couple of days. Yeah, with with structure, you know, we we all agree that structure is important for the most part in chiropractic, especially upper cervical. And, but sometimes we have different ideas about what structures are important and how they should be aligned and what things we need to do to achieve those ends. And again, if you follow the evidence, when we when we talk global, we're talking about the the cervical spine as a unit. You know, we're not talking about an atlanto arti occipital articulation, a C2, C3 facet. Those are parts of the whole. We're looking at the whole, and then we can isolate out the parts of the whole that need to be attended to. But it is, I think, worthwhile to consider the whole, you know, and to see changes with the whole. And he explained the neurological pathways with that. One of the uh, quotes that I wrote down there is, uh, let's see. Uh, he he emphasized the importance of understanding a constant versus intermediate input, mm. and a structural biomechanical change to the spine is a constant input into the system. So if we make an adjustment, this is what we talk about with adjustments. Quote holding. We want to make a consistent and persistent biomechanical neurological change with an adjustment because that reinforces the feedback loop of, you know, positive neurology, positive biomechanical motion, po positive structural balance. And so 
one of the things about holding is it's not this kind of like airy fairy, you know, esoteric idea of, you know, something going on magically inside the patient. Like we have to have outcomes associated with that so that we can track our progress either toward holding or knowing when and when and how to intervene. Yeah. And the, and the flip of that is, and I've seen this is sometimes patients are quote holding, but we're not seeing those global structural changes. And so then it gives us an opportunity to say, okay, how do we now influence that outcome specifically? Because we understand now, not just with, you know, not just with our, our chiropractic techniques, but even with the conversation that he, you know, had with us about inflammation and how the mm. end stage of inflammation is degeneration fibrosis. is arthrosis is fibrosis. So we want to stay ahead of that curve for our patients. And we want to be mindful that we are achieving all of the outcomes. You know, we can pick and choose the ones we're strong at, but I do think it behooves us if we're going to have these folks entrusting, you know, their health into our hands, literally to pay attention to the, these types of concepts that a guy like Dr. Murphy, who's, you know, he's not from our little circle. You know, he has some familiarity with it, but he brings a, a different perspective to the table. I think that's really valuable. And so I appreciated uh, I appreciated the wide range of you know, topics that he covered. But that was one thing I wrote down to pay attention to. It's like, that's that's what we want, right? We want that constant change in input. We want that constant feedback into the nervous system, into the structural system, you know, that is more positive for a longer period of time. And obviously we want our people to feel good, but that, you know, as a functional outcome is super important as well. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting, especially from a student standpoint, because I know we all are, you guys graduated from life as well. And we get such a well-rounded base in vitalistic philosophy. And then we also are able to see from shadowing docs, the end result. So we get the beginning and the end. And like you said, it's the whole picture. It's the whole body picture. And he really filled the holes in as far as, you know, what are the actual biochemical cascade, you know, pathways. Like he provided pictures. He provided his own flow charts that he created to dumb down the neurology for for students like myself. He, you know, not to get too in-depth with it, but the whole piezo one receptor mm. and, you know, the link with Meniere's and, and how that is like the middleman for DDD and DJD that we talk about every day. And now that I'm starting to talk about every day in clinic using the, the old, you know, like tire imbalance, you know, if your tires aren't balanced and one's going to degrade faster, you know, stick that you tell your outpatients, like it's, it's cool to have this more in-depth look to it. And it was a lot, but it was every time I started to doze off, he, he, said piezo one and i use that as a trigger word to like open my eyes again (laughs) yeah and that that term you know that piezoelectric effect that's something i remember hearing about in school and it kind of changed the to your point the analogy or like the understanding of how is degeneration forming because we assume it's bone on bone right it's just rubbing it's like friction in the body you know this came up in a blair you know blair technique Facebook page recently communicating to a patient about a condition of arthritis and how that develops and what the risks and the benefits of care are and all that kind of a thing. If we don't understand how the thing happens, then we're going to give our patient an incomplete understanding of not just the condition of their spine, but also how we can support them. So it's not just a mechanical friction model. It's an electrochemical, you know, condition that affects the, uh, 
you know, osteoblastic activity in the in the bone. And even just understanding, you know, he was talking about biotensegrity and just the different characteristics of bone, uh, you know, with that that model of how forces are transmitted in the different types of bone tissue. Fascinating stuff. When I see a guy like that, he's 68 freaking years old. And, you know, the way he was rattling off studies and authors and dates and, you know, it, it really inspired me to continue to learn and grow and to internalize some of this information because he, you know, he could have stopped looking at stuff decades ago, right? He knows how to get results. You know, he knows what's important to pay attention to with patient care, but he's continuing to stay on top of the science. And I really appreciate that. You know, I think there's something really powerful about that. And if, you know, for upper cervical chiropractors, I think, you know, we have this interesting place in the profession where we lean really heavy on the science because we're not just treating people over and over and over endlessly for a short-term symptomatic relief. You know, we want to have a good handle on this science so that we can help folks understand and we can also be accountable to, you know, our outcomes with them. So that's always inspiring. Guys like him really, really, you know, make me want to lock in, dial in and just continue, you know, continue the, uh, the marathon of practice. So anything else? A lot of magnesium. <laughs> well, how about this? I mean, again, structurally, this is something that I think is important. And I, I've had other docs talk to me about this, but I don't think it's, I don't hear it in the kind of conversations in upper cervical often. You know, he talked a lot about gravity. This is to your point in the beginning, Dr. Bearder, about, you know, the importance of that balance and that symmetry is the class one lever system of an upright posture. You know, there are, there are physics involved. Right. Yeah. And I love philosophy and all that kind of stuff, but we cannot negate the fact that there are physics involved with the work that we're doing. And he broke down that class one lever system and, and showed us, you know, how forces impact structures. Yeah. Uh, and, and, the hum- and this is something that Dr. Sweat used to always say in the AO elective. He always used to say, all parties agree that the spine is a mechanical structure. <laughs> and when you got a mechanical structure, you got to have a mechanical intervention and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I was always thought like, well, that's too, quote, mechanistic. And honestly, the more time goes on, I'm like, I, I think we need a good dose of mechanism sometimes yeah. to kind of keep yeah. us honest with how are we going to go about influencing these structures. Yeah. And uh, so I appreciate those visuals about the lever systems and the class one lever system, the fulcrum, you know, where the weights are balanced and all that sort of thing. It's That's a good visual and a good reminder to be mindful of the physics and to, uh, you know, influence our outcomes directly based on those principles. I think he actually, like, if you take a step back and kind of look at the bird's eye view of everything, he talked about philosophy, he talked about mechanics, and he actually, in my mind, he made an argument for both types of upper cervical, articular and orthogonal, right? And then you bring in the neuroplasticity, so that holding value and the, the spine being dynamic, that's the one thing that I know Dr. Stenberg and I talk about frequently is there used to be patient education that after an adjustment, you know, you don't move. You want to hold it there so that things that, it, you know, the, the alignment holds, you know, you don't want to move your head or whatever. Be careful to move your head or neck for 24 hours. From a neuroplastic standpoint, that's the absolute last thing you want to do. And from that piezoelectric standpoint, also probably the last thing you want to do. Right. If there's a new neuromuscular pattern, aka reflex, vestibulospinal reflex, um, whatever, you want that new feedback to go again and again and again, as opposed to like, oh, it's sitting there, and then we're just going to kind of hold there for 24 hours. So I like that he 
you know, maybe that's on my own interpretation because of what I've looked at in the past, but it was interesting that he brought in everything. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. He talked about supplementation. He talked about lasers, you know, which is sometimes not something that folks want to talk about in the upper cervical world, but there's a time and a place for everything. And I think he did a great job of marrying it all, so to say. Yeah. Word. But with that, with that gravity concept and and structural balance being a first class Mm. lever system, you know, gravitational posture being a first class lever system, you know, another, another quote I wrote down here was that changes in load centers drive inflammation. That leads to fibrosis. And another quote he said later is, chronicity is not a muscular problem. It's an articular problem. Mm. So the, so the breakdown of global posture over time leads to articular compromise, mm-hmm. which has an effect on the load and it's a, it's a negative feedback loop. Right. Mm. So I think it's interesting again to say, you know, that we understand the merits and, and the, the pros and cons of each technique assessment, whether it's CBP, it's Atlas orthogonal, it's Blair, it's Nietzsche, whatever. Right. Yeah. We understand they all have their merits and their, you know, gaps uh, and limitations, but I, I really appreciate one thing he said, which is dogma hampers progress, mm. right? We, we talk a lot about progress. We want chiropractic to reach more people. We want to get better results. You know, we want to see progress. We want doctors to be more financially re- um, rewarded for their efforts and all that kind of thing. It, it's interesting to think about some of the, we talk about self-limiting beliefs as negative things, but sometimes there are some positive self-limiting beliefs, right? Some things sure. that we really cling to that aren't bad, but they may be, you know, holding us back from moving in a direction of, you know, of progress. And so I, I really appreciated that quote. I wrote it down. I'm going to be thinking about it because it's easy for us to identify that in everybody else, right? It's mm-hmm. like, well, here's where they're wrong or where they've had, they've got blinders on. And if they just knew what we knew, right? We hear that all the time. I think it's good to turn that on ourselves and go, where, where are we kind of like, yeah. you know, holding things close to the best? Where, where do we feel insecure with, different opinions that don't necessarily, you know, jive with ours. Like, I think those are great opportunities for us to move forward. Um, and I personally, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm all about growth. I think, you know, chiropractic is about adaptation, right? We talk about that all the time. So uh, let's not get static and dogmatic in our thinking. Let's adapt. You know, these people need us. So that's a verse. I don't want to get static and dogmatic. (laughs) Yeah. Bars. Bars. (laughs) Bars. <laughs> I got those for days. There we um, go. Last thing, and I don't want to, I don't want to overdo it, but there were, there was a, um, what do you call it? A prequel. So there's a, there's a 17 page PDF. Uh, and I thought it was kind of interesting the way he taught from a PDF. That was actually kind of a, that was kind of a neat way to do it. I'll yeah. make that prequel available uh, for folks that weren't there. I'll put a uh, link or, you know what, just go ahead and email Podcast at gmail.com if you want his prequel notes. Uh, you don't get the full set because you weren't there, but mm-hmm. that will give you a little bit of a taste of what uh, Dr. Murphy had to offer. So I have no problem making that available to listeners if, if you weren't able to get it. And uh, it will have a lot of resources. He, had, he, he re- referenced a lot of books and papers that were in the notes. So rather than you being able to hear everything he said, you'll see the references that he was working off of. And I'd encourage you to go look at those for yourself. So mm-hmm. awesome. Um, so Friday morning, we, we were real heavy with Dan Murphy. We covered all that. I mean, we could go on. I mean, the guy talked for four hours. There's no way we're going to sum it up in, you know, 10 or 20 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, but really appreciated that. And then afternoon, you know, this is where things got a little bit more practical. Uh, started with 
of thermographic imaging. I, Dr. Hanna, Dr. Jeff Hanna, who who has put together the module on pattern analysis, our online training for pattern analysis, which is now approved for CE through Sherman College of Chiropractic. Shout out to Dr. Frederick Scherger and Dr. Jeff Hanna for putting that together. Um, I'm, Paul, I'm gonna I'm gonna single you out for this one. I really want to get your take on this because. Cameron and I both have experience with thermography. We've got training in thermography, but for, for someone in school who I know you don't get good training in thermography, what, what'd you get out of that one? What were some takeaways or what was your impression of uh, that presentation on thermography? So I really, I really value Dr. Hannah's just commitment to do the most mundane, just grunt work statistics, like the most boring stuff to give us the algorithms and the insights that he did during the conference, because the, the amount of time, the years that he spent with a statistician, uh, I think it was Dr. Forrest's brother or son-in-law or, you know, family member to be able to go through the data and the probabilities and determine actual flow charts with the objective measures that we use in Blair to help students figure out, okay, this is a better time to adjust, not to adjust. I mean, I took pictures of those the second I saw them and, and, and I passed that on to all of the 30, 20 students that were there. And I'm going to be implementing that in clinic this week. Like that is something awesome. I'm going to have on my phone. So I, I am very excited and I've done his, his module online, his, his pattern module as well, because you don't really get a lot of good instruction in the chiropractic school. So the fact that that is online and available through the Blair Chiropractic Society, I think anyone that wants to do pattern analysis and who is able to do upper cervical in their clinic. If you just make that investment and do it, I've seen it impact my very limited patient experience with my, you know, care, like leaps and bounds. Um, and it provides that discipline. And I, I thought it was awesome. He made a very boring topic. Very fun. It was a challenge. Yeah. You know, but there it's it's data, you know, and someone has to help you interpret the data. Mm. You know, there's all this weird stuff out there about thermography and people have their own opinions of it, whether it's important, not important, how they use it, the things that they but for someone to, to break it down and say, to your point, like here are I don't want to say standards of care, but here is a, you know, unified approach to this, you know, that doesn't that takes me out of it and my technique out of it and just gives you kind of a decision-making, right? Clinical decision-making framework. Because if you as a student can use that, you can get freaking good results in clinic. If you're just doing toggle, if you're doing Blair, whatever you're doing, like that is going to allow you to actually treat your patients like you are an upper cervical doctor, to treat yourself like you're an upper cervical doctor, to think appropriately and, and to make all those interactions that much more beneficial for everybody. Cause I remember this like in student clinic and, even outpatient clinics, sometimes you just kind of feel like a doctor light, right? It's like, you, you kind of feel like, well, I don't really have, really have much experience. So I don't really expect much. I'm just kind of trying stuff out, see how it works. Mm-hmm. That's BS. If you're going to be caring for people, especially their upper cervical spine, like you need to be accountable to results. So Absolutely. wherever you are lacking in your ability to get those results, like you need to get on it, you know, and start putting some work in on that stuff. And, and I appreciate that he made it that uh, straightforward so that you don't have to agonize you know, over all these random resources and try to figure it out for yourself. You can just, you know, take that resource and run with it and it'll, it'll put you guys in a position to be way more successful. Frankly, you know, you guys probably understand pattern analysis than every instructor on that campus besides maybe Dr. Herman. So for what it's worth, that's, that's not a small thing. 
Yeah. And one last thing for me too about this is it's, I really think that it's a huge turning point as far as pattern analysis goes, because now we're not, we previously with the past updates and the software that's been available to generations of upper cervical chiropractors, it's been a black and white, yes or no in pattern. And it's been to some extent fairly subjective. And so with the work that Dr. Hannah has been doing and Titronics to provide actual, um, you know, like percent uh, slope uh, similarities, like actual hard identical like percentages, those three statistics that we get with each scan, that opens the field for plenty of research into, okay, when do we actually adjust our patients? And that's that's an avenue that the Blair Society, I'm, I'm pretty sure, is going to go down in the future. And that's just going to, it, it provides more validity and more clarity on objective measures for future students and docs. I think that's awesome. Very excited. Yeah. And, and so what Paul's referencing for docs that, that may not be aware is Titronics updated their software. So they've now got a cloud-based software with a bunch of additional features for analysis. And that's what Jeff was presenting on the utility of those features. Are you guys, do you have the cloud-based software on campus? We do not. We, okay. we are trying super hard. Uh, we just got our very own Titron for upper cervical students. And we're making some headway in the schools, but with studies like this and actual algorithms, students are able to bring that through their Blair clubs to the administration and the clinic directors. And it's makes for a way easier uh, conversation for sure. Yeah. Even without that though, you know, with the tools you guys have available on campus, you'll be that much farther ahead. So mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Shout out to Dr. Hannah. And I'm, I'm really grateful to have him stateside again. Cause it's just, you know, he's one of those people that is not dogmatic. He's, he's a thinker, you know, and he wants, he's a tinkerer. I like that. And so I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of cool collaboration with him in the future. And so we're real grateful to have doc here accessible, you know, not uh, on the other side of the world there. So awesome. There's and then an extra Friday, bar right there. He's a thinker and a tinker. And a <laughs> midnight, midnight toker. There we go. We're getting further yeah, in. We, we rounded out our Friday afternoon with um, an overview of the Blair technique and, and Dr. Forrest, who, you know, 49 years of practice. Like, I, I often wonder what it's like for a guy like Dr. Forrest to be in a room with almost 180 people at a Blair conference. Yeah. You know, when, when they started doing this, I mean, he was there at the first the first meeting of the Blair Society in 1986. Now, here we are. You know, there are more students in attendance than I've been at most, you know, many of the, the Blair annual conferences. Like, that's got to... That's got to, you know, that's got to feel some kind of way for a guy like him. So um, I, I'm always curious, but I, I appreciate him continuing to keep the history of how this is all developed in front of us and to keep us, you know, mindful of the progress that has been made. Because I talked to Dr. Williams about this um, or Dr. Banich, actually. She said, you know, we've seen we've seen this in the past where there was kind of a growth curve and then things fell off again. And she said, I think this time it's for real. And I can see that over the last few years, the momentum that's building is sustaining. And that's a very, it's a very encouraging thing to hear from someone who, again, you know, has been at this for a long, long time. So um, it's, it's good, you know, to be mindful of your history and to recognize those patterns. Cause we don't want to be, you know, we don't, we don't want to just burn hot, you know, and then flare out. Yeah. So, but the, the history, I think if you, if you read in between the lines, it's, it's multifaceted you have the docs who are carrying the torch out in the field, but at the same time you have, you have to have interest, right? 
And so one of the things that is going to be interesting, and I'm sure, Paul, you have thought about this, is what happens when you are no longer on campus? Because you and Al almost single-handedly um, have created this growth. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's, it has to continue. It's going to ebb and flow for sure, but it has to continue in some manner. And I mean, it's almost like a once in a generation, you know, when John and I were in school, we didn't have a player club. So it was, it, you know, we, we, and we found this a little bit too late, so we couldn't, we couldn't grow it. And so I think it's, it's finding the perfect mix. It's like hitting, it's like, it's like literally the bases are loaded, right? Cause you have these practices that are doing well. Um, and so they're able to hire associates. And so then you have the students who are growing it within the schools and multiple schools. So I, I it's, it's, it's multifaceted, but I, I would agree with um, Dr. Banch's comment that it, it looks like it's stuck. Cause John and I have been around long enough. What we've been in the Blair world for at least six years. Um, and been, I think between the both of us, we've been to every conference since 2015 or 20, 2015, 2016, and they've been growing, 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 growing. And so it's, it's, it's interesting to see. Uh, so Paul, no pressure. You need <laughs> to find a replacement who's just as, uh, just as tenacious without the D as you. Um, yeah. Yeah. good luck. Should be fun. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that I, I've been thinking about, especially since Al passed it down, yeah. Alan Watson, who who got me and Ben Wegner and Brendan Paul into mm-hmm. it. And those are just like my right hand guys. So I couldn't have done it without them. I have an amazing yeah. team of students because it's all about the, the vision that the Blair Society has crafted and the resources that they have made available to students. That's what you sell on your campus. That's yeah. what you tell students. You don't you try support. not to make it a cult personality. Yeah, the support. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. been the big driver. And before this, I was on a call for an hour with our two new presidents. Cool. And we have a lot of younger students who are going to be in school for, for an additional two years. And we were genuinely just talking about um, standard operating procedures and everything that we're handing down. And then also countermeasures for when the amazing Dr. Herman retires eventually. Like we were like, okay, you know, we need to be ready for not this. Not happening. I hope it doesn't, but like no. we're, you know, I'm, I'm, we're thinking ahead because if we can keep the momentum going, I mean, we told the students like the compliments from established docs like yourselves drive it because I live, I, I tell them, I'm like the instruction provided by Dr. Herman and Dr. Lee at this club is arming you to be extremely prepared for practice coming out as an associate. Like you will have the basics down and so it's all about the quality of the club so i'm excited it was cool to see dr forrest too because he's been practicing longer than my mom has been able to talk so that's that's really cool (laughs) i hope you didn't say that to him no but it is it is wild it is wild i was like wow he is i watched him adjust too and it's like a it's like a magic wizard like it's just so seamless i'll say this too because you know when cameron and i and, and Dr. Pekka and a few others were kind of like eager young docs, fresh out of school in the Blair Society, and there weren't ne- that that many younger docs around or students. It's different because then the conversations were a lot of times folks were like, "Do you know anybody looking for a job?" You know, it was more docs coming to us looking for associates. This conference, I, I mean, I probably talked to a dozen students that were like, "Yeah, I'm going to be looking for an associateship." Yeah. I mean, holy smokes! Like, if you're a member of the Blair Society. 
you know, we're, we're sort of like the, the efforts, the fruits of the labor are, are paying off. And that is a huge value to being a doc who, you know, not, number one is a member of the Blair Society. Number two shows up, you know, because these students were mixing and mingling and networking. And I talked to a couple docs who were like, hey, I got a couple good leads for, you know, for associates that are going to be finishing up school right about the time I'm looking. So it pays to show up, right? That's what you guys have done. And that's what the board has done. And that's what those of us that have made an intentional effort to support you guys have done. And that's, it takes time, but it does, it does make for a much better situation, you know, than, uh, than we started with. So I love it. I think it's awesome to see. And one last thing on that too. I'm glad you, you brought that doctor's perspective because the thing that I tell the student community here at life is, you know, pay attention to the docs who are involved in the society. And those are usually the most successful ones. And those are the, usually the ones that will provide you with the best mentorship. So if you're a doc who didn't come to the conference and, and we missed you this year, we have like dozens of students that are eager to meet you and gain your experience. And I would really encourage you to be at the next one and become more visible to us. Because like you said, we, you know, most of the students here at life, we're looking to associate you know, instead of open up right out of the gate, like we want that mentorship for, for two to three to five years. So it's a good opportunity. Nice. And it does create more opportunity. Like even today I was just, you know, thinking about the weekend and I had a really weird case, you know, for a new patient today. And I just, in the moment threw together a group chat on Instagram with, Mm -hmm. you know, 12 or 14 of the students that I met this weekend and said, Hey, I'm just going to keep talking to you guys about cases and stuff. Like, you know, there, there's opportunity to continue these conversations after the fact. And, and, uh, you know, when, when people get together and get excited, cool stuff happens. So yeah. love it. Absolutely. Speaking of, you know, Saturday, the, the cool thing about the Blair, the Blair weekend, I guess if you want to call it that is I always appreciate the hands-on training because some of these adjustments are weird. Some of them make sense. Some of them don't make sense, but like, there's a lot of stuff going on with Blair adjustments. And so we spend all morning on Saturday, basically four hours training all the different adjustments. And Paul, I, I saw recently you posted a video from a couple of years ago of you doing an adjustment and then seeing your adjustment videos now, like, dude, your skills have improved a lot, you know? Thank so you. what was it like going through those stations for you? Did you feel comfortable and familiar with this stuff or what did you take away from the hands-on portion? I loved it. That was my, I, I did the, the review survey to give feedback to the society for the annual and all my students, all the students did as well. And so it was very surreal to see that video. Someone sent that to me and I, I had to post it immediately. Cause like, wow, the growth. And I, I did feel like we had a good handle on it because we do have Dr. Lee and Dr. Herman. I mean, we, every single one of those adjustments, even the side opposites and the double uh, we had done before. Like I, I had done that adjustment before. And so it was, it was cool to not only refine it with more repetitions, but also get different advanced instructors perspective on it, you know, with Dr. Bulo and Dr. Fiore and Dr. Forrest and, and sugar and all these amazing advanced instructors. It was cool because they each explained it in a different way. And so I picked up amazing, just little tweaks for each of these adjustments. And it was, it was really cool to see, for four hours, docs who have had 30 plus years of experience training alongside students who have had a year, if that. And it was there a lot of camaraderie and it was super, super fun. It was my favorite part. 
Nice. And they love it, don't they? I mean, like some of these docs, like you mentioned Dr. Sugar, he's just like in his element when he's there teaching hands-on and he's, he is hands-on, like he'll maneuver your body. He'll help you kinesthetically. Like that stuff, you know, you just, it's hard to feel that and get that feedback when you're practicing, you're just doing what you think is right. But when someone makes that refinement, shows you what it should feel like and look like, you can go and go practice that. That's that neuroplasticity, right? You have to practice the right thing, you know, to, to do it on purpose. So it's a, it's a good opportunity. I picked up a few refinements, a few things that I thought I understood well, um, you know, were just presented in a different way. And it kind of shifted my thinking about the mechanics of some of these adjustments. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, you know, it's worth it. And I, I kind of sometimes think I'm smart and like, you know, know how stuff works or doesn't work. They go around these circles and I'm like, oh, yeah, dummy, you know, yeah. like just just listen to the people that have been doing it longer and like, you know, weigh that heavily, you know, and then make decisions about what you think is important or not. So, yeah, well, it was on good. that, too, like that exact thought you just said about how you picked up refinements as a doc in the field. It was one of the really cool things that I talked to a lot of students about that weekend, especially at the social was how docs would go up and they would do the adjustment. And there was still stuff for them to learn. And they had been in practice. And it, it wasn't like a, like, oh, they don't have a grasp on the adjustment. It was just, it was very inspiring to see docs who were out in the field for decades, still putting the work in and having the humility to refine their adjustment over and over and over again um, in front of pretty much just very, very be- novice beginners. Like it was an amazing culture, I think, that's being fostered there. And it is a little bit intimidating. You know, I remember being a new doc and like you get in this, you know, you're, you're in a group of eight or 10 people and they're like, okay, you do it in front of everybody. And I'm going to tell you how, how wrong it was. Like, that's a little intimidating. So I always, I always appreciate the students that lean in and just get that feedback. Cause you'll see, there are people that just kind of like meander away and they don't really engage in that part of it for one reason or another, but it's just a missed opportunity, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate that too. I like it. It's fun. And, you know, I was joking with Dr. Dan Judge. There's a table there and I'm just doing toggles on it or whatever. He's like, what are you showing off? And I'm like, we just can't help it. Right. You see a toggle table. We're like, yeah, you just got to get on it. <laughs> so it's fun. Um, awesome. This is, uh, this is where Dr. Beard is going to shine, you know, because you got to present applied neurology of the CCJ and vestibular syndromes. And, and I I've been like anticipating this, this presentation for a long time, just kind of talking with you and your preparation and, you know, the conversations we've had over the years, but this is kind of a unique perspective where we've got, I just attended as a doc with no, you know, obligations. You actually got to present on the stage and then Paul being a student. So we've got a lot of unique perspectives to bring to this particular conversation. Like first, I'd like to just kind of know what it was for like for you after thinking about and preparing and planning for so long for this presentation to actually just get up there and do it. No, thank you. Uh, you know, like, I mean, I can say that when it, when I finished it, I was actually very satisfied. Um, I had 82 slides. I put two slides in, in the hotel room because I wanted to talk about something. Uh, but 82 slides in basically like 58 minutes. And I knew it was going to be fast. And it was 2.5 speed. <laughs> People started taking notes and then apparently they stopped. But that's why I created that website after. So, um. No, it was good, you know, and like it's I mean, I spent the better part of six months putting that presentation together and there were so many iterations of it. Like I, I wanted to focus only on upper cervical and then I realized, uh oh, 
I don't think a lot of us have a super awesome grasp on the vestibular system for one reason or another. And so that's a learning opportunity, right? Just like showing up and, you know, slamming down a, an ASR RTC, you know, having sugar watch you and getting critiqued. It's like, okay, we have room for improvement. And this is, and, and it's also somewhere where we can really shine. So I rewrote it a bunch of times. You know, my wife is watching me do all this stuff. You're going crazy with this. And you, you know, John, uh, spitballing off you, but it was good. It was really good. And looking back on it, I think it was the perfect flow of like, hey, there's anatomy, there's physiology. And I kept dropping little tidbits about like, here's how you can apply it. Um, and I truly do mean what I say or what I said at the end of it. And that Blair has a really unique opportunity that probably most other upper cervical techniques don't have. And it's more the neurological aspect of things in that we can connoiter the side opposite or different contact point adjustments um, and use those in to affect the neurology. And so, you know, I mean, the thing about the bot, the brain is like, there's two sides. That's it. <laughs> you know, you, you do something on the right, it's going to go over, it's going to bias over to the left. So if you need to switch up your adjustment for neurological reasons, you can still do your ASR, but you can do an ASR, um, LTC, you know? So like there's, it's just, it was really cool thinking, you know, digging back into the Blair as it were, but it was good. It was really good. I don't know that I would change much. Actually, now I change a lot, but um, I don't know that I would change much in terms of how it was delivered. And that was kind of my my big, like, not fear, but my big apprehension was like, man, I really hope this gets delivered the way I see it and I hear it in my head. And from the feedback I got, it was. Um, but yeah, 2.5 speed. I think that was the biggest, the biggest feedback is, you know, just going, going, going. And so when... You know, I get up there and it's like, all right, go ahead and start. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't have a mic. I don't have a clicker. I'm wasting valuable time here. I'm going to start yelling because I have stuff that needs to be done. Uh, so it went, it went well overall. I'm very pleased with it. And I get to do it again in about a week and a half at Ortho. Different topic. So, yeah. And and he's not kidding when he says he's been working on it for six months. That's, that's no exaggeration. And, and frankly, like, you know, you're we're friends, right? We're, we're in touch all the time, a little bit. but I can't, I can't say like the supplemental resources you provided in the detail in, in the presentation, like you over delivered in a way that no one else, I've never seen anybody bring that much value to one presentation, frankly. Yeah. And it's hopefully sets the bar because it's so easy to just get up there and do the thing, you know, and, and we had presentations we've seen and heard before. I mean, it's like, I think it, it's, again, you know, we're talking about progress, we're talking about growth, and we're talking about pushing the envelope a little bit of, like, what's possible with this Blair work. Um, I like that, you know, and I think I think it, it takes every once in a while kind of, like, a little bit of a shakeup, like, hey, this is this is actually the level of, you know, value that you can provide in a 60-minute presentation. Mm-hmm. I know what you've seen in the past. I know what we've all seen in the past, and it's kind of like we get into this rhythm of, well, here's what we present and how we do it. And here's how the weekend goes and what we expect. Sometimes you just need to snap out of that and go like, okay, it's time to level up. And that's, yeah. that's what I saw in your presentation. And I do appreciate like, and I even, I even cautioned him ahead of time. Like, that's ah, too much content, man. I don't know that you'll be able to get through all that, but I appreciate talking up to a crowd. There's like so much of the stuff we do. It's like, let's dumb it down to make it simple. We want everybody to get it at some level. That's BS. Talk up to people, you know, let's raise the bar. And, and if you exceed people's expectations, they will have to recalibrate their expectations and they'll have to rise to the occasion. 
And that's what I appreciate about that presentation. And even for the folks that weren't there, if it's okay with you, I'll put the link for the replay in the uh, in the show notes here so folks can access the recorded version, not the live version with all the fun parts that got included with that. But if you're open to it, I'll, I'll include the recorded version so that folks can go back and get access to that content. Because frankly, those two handouts that you put together, the differential diagnosis and all that, that's invaluable. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not an upper cervical doc that was in that room or anywhere else that wouldn't benefit from having those those two handouts available to troubleshoot. Here's what you're actually dealing with, you know, with a person with a, a symptom of dizziness, right? Here's how you start to rule in and rule out the systems involved, the potential co-management opportunities, the times where you're going to crush it out of the park and change their life, the times where you're going to have an uphill battle if you don't have the right information. I mean, that that's good for doctors and patients and uh, super, super valuable. And after hundreds of hours of training and even more hundreds of hours of, you know, of, of synthesizing that information down, like those two sheets are, there's a lot there. So, um, and and I've used that information already. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's, it's about 400 hours and probably actually a little bit more than 10,000. So you can assign value to it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like literally you, and that's why now I, I, I'll be a hundred percent transparent. Those were adapted from research. They were also adapted from Dr. John Chung, who is a uh, who also has done the the fellowship education with vestibular. You know, like you have to rely on or you have to partner with other doctors to move the needle. And Dr. Chung is who inspired me to get into the vestibular work. And so, um, you know, I adapted it and put it a little bit more with a spin on probably what is going to walk into uh, a Blair office, so to say. But yeah, like that's those those two sheets. Like, I mean, John, when you and I were in school, and obviously Paul, you're in school right now. What what do you want? What are you looking for? I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. You want something to be easy, but we both we all know that it's not super easy. But if you have a little piece that kind of moves the needle from like not point A to point B, from like point A to maybe like point I don't know H or something like that. That's a huge gap. So someone like Paul can take that if he has a clin- if he has a patient in clinic, and it's you know this patient is like oh I'm dizzy or oh I, I have vertigo or my chief complaint is vertigo. Now Paul can say well wait a minute are you spinning? And if that patient says no, he can just literally hand that sheet to that patient and say circle what you have going on. It can be it doesn't remove the need to be a doctor, but that's what I wanted when I was in school. And when you go to a conference. You want you want the Monday morning stuff, right? John and I talk about this all the time because God, we go to so many conferences. It's like the Monday morning. We kind of giggle about it, but that's what I wanted. I wanted the Monday morning so anyone in that room can go home and just print it out and say, "Okay, here's 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 what we can do." And in reality, if it's like a if it's a practice management situation, especially if you don't know what's going on and you're a little bit unsure of like, "Oh, is this safe or not?" You can do a quick reference like, oh crap, yeah, this is looking like it's not un- like it's like it's unsafe. You take 15 seconds to scan that sheet and you say, you know what, Aaron, we're gonna t- we're gonna be really cautious about this. We're gonna call so and so, or we're gonna have your husband take you to this place, you know, sooner than later. So it's just it's just it's expectations, it's managing expectations, and it helps I think everyone be a better clinician. And that's kind of my shtick. I think it complimented nicely. Uh, Dr. Dan Murphy's presentations because he he even said himself the complexity of the 
pathophysiology that we're dealing with in these people and in our modern world is different than when he got into practice. Right. So I think, you know, sometimes I had this conversation with Dr. Gordon Elder. Yes. You're probably in the the back talking. No, but he did. (laughs) And I've had, I had a conversation with Dr. Gordon Elder about this recently. It's like, we talk about quote complex cases. Yeah. Maybe the, the cases are complex because we're applying a simple algorithm to them. Like you were saying, Paul, maybe we need to expand our algorithm so that less people are a quote complex case. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just makes troubleshooting that much easier when what constitutes a complex case is not we're applying the wrong tool for the job, but that it's truly complex and multifactorial and we understand our part in the whole And again, if we put ourselves in the shoes of these people who are suffering and they've got a condition, a symptom that is unlikely to respond in the way that we want to an upper cervical adjustment and they continue suffering and we continue trying to do something to help them, but it's just not the right tool for the job. I mean, that's frustrating for us. It's it's frustrating for them. It doesn't give them a positive chiropractic experience. And and we know that chiropractic is not all about symptoms, but let's be honest, results are symptom improvement along with everything else too. So, so I think it's, again, it's one of those things that I, you know, and I told you this three years ago, it's like, I don't have as much success with these dizzy people as it seems like everybody else does, you know? And so that started a conversation and you and I talked about this when we took the Blair elective, like these side opposite adjustments might have a really useful neurological utility, you know? And so like seeing that come full circle, and to, uh, you know, get presented to a larger audience is, it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, the vestibular system is super complex. You know, Dr. Mm. Dr. Dan Murphy did his drawing of just the trigeminal circle, cervical nucleus and how systemic, you know, those inputs and relays can be. And he oh, yeah. talked about the vagus nerve and how, you know, we know that that's a pathway into the entire viscera into, you know, all branches of autonomics. It's like, this, it matters, right? This upper yeah. cervical idea is a big idea with a very focused application. And so I like content that builds it up and helps us understand, you know, where and how it fits in because it's the best thing in practice when a patient comes back and says, I can't believe how amazing I feel because you adjusted me. Thank you. That's what we're doing, right? That's that dogma that inhibits progress thing. It's like, if we're seeing less and less of those quote miracles to Dr. Murphy's point, Yep. I think it's a good idea to understand why so that we can get back on track and see more of them again. Yeah. And so sometimes that means selecting patients into and out of, you know, our, our, you know, treatment priorities based on what they're actually dealing with. So I appreciated it. I got a lot out of it and I thought I had learned a lot from you already. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it's definitely warrants further, you know, further conversation. I saw you have a lot of conversations with docs and students about it after the fact. So obviously you, you hit on a, you hit on a need there. And so yeah. I think that tells you something and hopefully that spurns more folks to, uh, you know, give this, this content some, you know, a second look. Well, and that's, it's- it was, it was designed honestly, and not to be pompous. It was designed to be the first of maybe a two or three series. Cause like we could, I could have just spent 60 minutes on cervicogenic dizziness, which is why we did the podcast, right? We did podcast on cervicogenic mm-hmm. dizziness. Um, we could have done 60 minutes on Beniers or something like that. But it's like having that baseline knowledge, you know, and I was joking with my wife saying like, oh, maybe if they invite me back, I can slow it down a little bit. We can talk about one to two things. 
Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's extremely extensive. I'm, I'm curious though, what the student perspective is, even if it's just singular student, but just one that we yeah. are. It was, and to be completely transparent, especially at, at life, you have two, the functional neurology community and the upper cervical community are usually separate, but parallel kind of, and there's not a lot of crossover. And so when when I was in the trenches with the UC clubs, I had amazing students like Benjamin Wegner, Brennan Powell, and then Nathan Spears, who went to Funk Neuro while I did like the UC stuff. So I was talking to them about how they liked it as just someone with a little bit more experience. And I'll say how I liked it in a bit. And they, those guys who had, and Ben's an officer in the Funk Neuro Club at Life University. So he oh, is all that. about <laughs> neurology. Yeah, he is a... I mean, he's my brain trust. He's a photocopier and he loved it. And even the younger students who are two, three quarters in Caleb Dallas, who is next to me, uh, he loved it. And it was just, like you said, talk up to people, you know, and just bring the really high level information. It was amazing. And as someone who myself, who really wants to implement some funk neuro, I don't know to what extent how, you know, how far down the rabbit hole I want to go, right? That we were talking about yeah. breakfast, talking mm, with, uh, with mm, Nate. Mm. But I want to be able to know enough to address it and then refer to somebody so yeah. that that patient can get proper care. And I think exactly. from your presentation, you, you did so much to move the needle <laughs> for students and docs to have that level of skill to be able to not only identify when we can help someone, but also who we need to send them to so that, you know, because it'll look good on us if they go somewhere and get care. It's a win-win. So it's, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to be looking at, I know I had eight students I talked to who during all of our flights back, they were reviewing uh, your playback and then also Dan Murphy's thing. I had a layover, you know, I was there for eight hours and I didn't even get through Dr. Dan Murphy's stuff. <laughs> so was, you never will. Was, you will. I mean, you'll, you will go back and reference it for years. Like that's how yeah. impactful Dr. Murphy's. Cause I, I saw him speak, geez, probably a decade ago, almost a decade ago. And I still have the notes. And my, when my wife who has, has, has seen what we've implemented from his stuff from 10 years ago, it's, it's, it is applicable almost every single day from Dr. Murphy. And I think that's like, that's cool to aspire to, right? As young docs, you know, I'm sure Paul is going to be speaking on the stage at some point. It's like, that's, that is something to aspire to in terms of like deliver that type of impact on any type of situation or any type of topic. So yeah, I think overall, like we've got some really good people that we have in the Blair Society and that are connected to the Blair Society. And I think there's some really good people that we haven't touched yet, right? We haven't gotten a hold of yet. Um, and I think the next generation, especially Paul's generation is going to piggyback on like, Hey, we need to bring people into this instead of like yeah, telling right. everyone like, Oh, this is what we have. And like, it's so good. You know, my hope was that I was able to inspire the students to think, okay, here's what we can probably do, which is awesome. So let's work within this, knowing that we could maybe affect some other things, but like that co-management the whole dr- patients call it the dream team, right? Their dream healthcare team. It's priceless. Um, that, mm-hmm. that is how you move the needle, truly move the needle in healthcare. Having that cohesive team of like, hey, here's what I do. I know when it's not going to work or when I need to send someone somewhere. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that's the overarching theme, so to say. It was awesome. You did a really oh, good shit. job. The students loved it. 
Love really it. do. Good. Mm-hmm. And even beyond that, like with those green light conditions, mm-hmm. if you can just select those folks yeah. out, your upper cervical adjustment is functional neurology for those people. Yeah. If done appropriately. So, you know, these conversations about either or, it's like, you know, let's leverage all that. And Dan Murphy talked about the mechanisms with that. And so it creates a high level of confidence that, you know, I hate, I'm so sick of hearing people say things like doctors of the nervous system, but we need to increase our level of understanding of these neuro, the neurophysiology of this region that we're caring for and, and and all of the other connections and and branches into the other systems. And even that bit camera you did at the beginning, which is this, this vestibular system in our human neurology is the oldest Mm. system, right? Like, and just understanding the jellyfishes and how translation moves and, and just the, I guess embryology and the development and the neurodevelopment of it. It's like, that's an interesting frame shift to go. This isn't just a part that gets messed up and then causes symptoms. Like this is, this is deeply rooted in our experience as humans. And when we're dealing with folks that are having dysfunction with this system, it impacts them as a human in a multi-system way. That's really cool. Um, and, And I also think like for the Blair technique, to host this type of conversation in the first place. Like when we got into it, Blair was known as the place with the best party. Right? It's like, yeah, well, the yeah, Nuka yeah. guys are the, you know, the Nuka guys are, are this type of, you know, this type of experience and the Atlas orthogonal people are this type of experience. And, but Blair, that's where they have the most fun. I like the idea that Blair is becoming the place where you get the highest level content, yeah. you know, and, and mm. for it to be a good upper cervical conference, you know, upper cervical seminar for everybody. You know, we're obviously going to lean into the Blair model, but you know, that con, I, I told a couple people, it's like, I wish my ortho friends were there to, to get some of this because it would have benefited them. Yeah. Even if they're not doing the adjusting stations or whatever, it's like, there's benefit to anybody practicing upper cervical at that. And I, and I like that. I'd like to see, you know, the quality of the content at the Blair, at the Blair conferences improve over time. That's, that's really encouraging. And I think it does kind of match the demand of the members. I mean, that's what people want. They want, higher level content. They want the tried and true. And we'll talk about that for the last presentation. Yeah. They want the tried and true. They want the history and the foundation, but they also want more. And I think we're in a unique opportunity to be able to, to do all that, which is cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I thought about this, you know, there's a lot of conversation about like, you had mentioned the limitations of matter, right? That, that principle. I was thinking about this on the ride, on the flight home. It's like, if I could add a 34th principle, it would be the limitations of educated intelligence. There we go. Yeah, because if you understand your know, chiropractic philosophy, like innate intelligence is above educated intelligence. And the idea is intelligence unites force in matter. And it's like, I think sometimes there's a limitation of our educated intelligence. Like in my mind, it's like, I want to have as much freaking knowledge crammed in for innate quote unquote to use, to make useful in my practice. Mm. Right. You don't just rely on this esoteric idea of, um, you know, like I'm going to get some thought flash. that's going to explain that, that pathway of the trigeminal cervical nucleus. Like that's not how it works. But if you give, it's like having good matter, you know, for your body, mm. it's like build yourself up, build your educated intelligence up yeah. so that it's more useful. I mean, that just makes sense to me. Mm. But thought flash. That's, that's a good one. Hot, yeah, you, flash, use it. Flash, you can't flash. you can't write it the same way anymore. So no. it's different context. Models. I like it. Facts. Hey, and by the way, there's 
the last presentation here uh, about the CBCT and X-ray analysis of the base posterior, Dr. Gordon Elder, Dr. Michael Lenars got up there and kind of gave us a little bit of a, a brief history of some of the X-ray procedures that the Blair technique uses and why. And also, you know, kind of introduced this idea that like, hey, our, our imaging modalities have evolved over time. A lot of folks are using CBCT. So I like this idea that like, let's revisit some of our concepts and make sure that with advanced imaging, you know, we're still using the best practice for this test technique. So um, Dr. Elder even is mm -hmm. is embarking on, and even today I signed up for, yeah. you know, a, a CBCT research project looking at that base posterior analysis. I think that's cool. You know, that's someone who has a, a good depth of history with traditional line drawing analysis on plain film and digital. Now with the CBCT, they're going, hmm, things are a little different here. You know, let's let's modify our technique or let's evaluate our technique with this new technology and, and make sure we're still on to the right ideas with this stuff. I think that's really encouraging. And um, I, I appreciated huge. them. Yeah, I appreciated them, you know, bringing that to to the whole community to say, hey, and he even said, we're not selecting instructors out here. We're not selecting out the people that we know and like that are going to confirm what we want. He said, all you need to have is experience with CBCT, do a posterior analysis. We're going to welcome everybody's input on this. And we're going to do a group research project to make sure that our standards and our procedures are up to date. I love that. I think it's awesome. And it's exactly the right way to cap off a conference like this, yeah. which is here's the old, here's the new. We're bringing the two together to do the best possible job. That's that's a forward-thinking organization, and I, I appreciate that about the current board that is yeah. kind of steering the ship here with the Blair Society. The as far as I know, as far as I know, that's that's, and I've been involved in other techniques. Um, no one else is doing that, so it's very interesting to see that Blair is at the forefront of many things, um, inclusiveness, students, you know. I mean, John, you and I have talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, we need to start updating our, our, we need to start validating our theories with 3D. And to hear that from the stage is actually really cool. Um, almost to the point where it's like, oh, I wish I could time travel Paul back, you know, about five or six years or so that he, so he could understand the, the magnitude of that. Because it's like, you know, students are going to say, oh, that makes sense. That makes complete sense. But like, that's been a long time coming. John and I have been involved with Conebeam since Jake Hollowell gave his first Conebeam like webinar, seminar. And I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to see, like, uh, I guess it's going to be recorded. Now, I, I would say now is never a better time to be an upper cervical chiropractor. I can't believe I'd ever yeah. say something like that. I can't um, believe it either. That's going to be yeah. the first quote at the very beginning of the show. There we go. Morning, <laughs> Tom. That's but yeah, like, right there. Paul, what do you what do you think about that when you see this type of progress, like especially with regards to cone beam and X-ray? You know, you're learning X-ray in school, but you're getting the cone beam from the docs in the field. Like, what are what are your thoughts on that? I think just that singular move from the Blair Society to be willing to confront their own very well established protocols and to update them is probably the most attractive aspect of the Blair Society for students because I could count on my on my hand the amount of techniques that update themselves in like like maybe on a single finger you know it's especially well, here, here's what happens they don't mm -hmm. update they start another technique 
Exactly. And it, it spreads the resources even more thin, yes. which limits yeah. progress. Again, dogma limits progress. Exactly. And we've had, and it, it just, it shows a, a very healthy ego to be able to confront yourself like that. And students nowadays, we love that. And that's, that's been a huge, um, huge sticking point for, for a lot of students and a lot of techniques, especially at life. Cause you're, you're paralyzed by analysis at life because you have so many techniques you can do. You have so many, um, you know, roads you can go down. It's cool to know that the one that you put all your, your eggs in for a couple years while you're developing yourself is also going to be constantly changing. So, you know, it's not a dead end, right? It's not mm. like, Oh, I'm going to be stuck at the end of this road. It's like, no, they're constructing further avenues to go down, whether that's bringing in new speakers outside of the organization, um, exploring new topics. I, I thought this weekend was a perfect balance of reaffirming things that we know confronting things that we don't know, learning new things, and then setting up action steps to do those three things again next year. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Out of the three I've been to, this was my favorite one. That's awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do better every year, you know, and I know that anybody who puts these types of things together feels that pressure, you know, to always over deliver to your members because, you know, that's the thing about raising the bar is, is, you know, expectations go with it. And so, um, you know, we'll be working hard in the in the off season, quote unquote, which there is no such thing. Tracy will be starting starting fresh to put together the next one. But it does it does kind of like you don't want to do worse than last year, right? So it drives you, you know, to find ways to continue to provide more value to your members. Two hundred and forty freaking student members. That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. I got goosebumps when I heard that. And and to me that creates a sense of urgency that like, man, if you've got students' attention, like you really need to bring the best foot forward, but then also, you know, meet their needs. It's, it's easy a lot of times for us to assume we know what students want, but to engage in, and participate with the students and, and find out what they really want, what they really need, and what's really going to serve them in their practicing lives. That's a different thing altogether. So uh, I think that, you know, the data seems to support that the Blair Society is, is doing a good job of staying, you know, staying uh, in step with the students mm-hmm. and hope we can continue to do that. You know, so. Um, I, I, I was really encouraged by just the student and doctor participation and collaboration. It even seemed like at the social, I mean, students were, you know, mixing and mingling and asking questions and making yeah. connections. And we're seeing people, you know, talk about internship opportunities and work opportunities and job shadowing opportunities and exchanging contact information. It's like, that's half the benefit, honestly, for a student to go is to, uh, you know, is to get yourself, you know, get yourself associated with these people. That's what I I did. I started yeah. talking to people like Jake Hollowell and Tyler Evans and Ian Bulo and Gordon Elder and Fred Sugar and mm-hmm. the list goes on. And these people have done nothing but help me along the way. Uh, so it's, it's Frederick. <laughs> I said Frederick. Um, and it, it really does matter. And it's yeah. fun to be able to be one of those people that may have something to offer now, yeah. you know, and isn't just the youngest guy there who's always taking. It's like, it's nice to have something to offer you yeah. guys as well. And I frankly see you guys as, as peers, you know, mm-hmm. rather than like, well, come to hear from me. You guys are, you know, you guys are right there with us. And I sent a message to a student today. It's like, we grow together, man. Like we're going to keep, we're going to keep on this stuff all together. And uh, I think the future is bright, uh, but it's up to us, you know, it's up to us mm-hmm. to make it that way. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. You guys better be ready. It's going to be 600 student members if uh, if if the team at Life has anything to say about it. Please, Tracy, out. don't don't do that to Tracy. Don't, she's, well, you better. It's going to happen. 
It's the action step. Nicole King and Ben Farka, they'll be up next. That's awesome. Love it. Love it. It's good. Well, um, all, all things considered, I think we've all left with a pretty positive impression from the weekend. Um, I'm I'm continued to be impressed by the docs and the students and just the community at large. I really, uh, the last couple of years I've been working on the board and, and like helping with this stuff. So it was cool to just show up as an attendee and just take it all in. It was, it was well done. I appreciate it. The it weekend. was great. So Tracy did a great job. Yeah. Shout out to Tracy. Shout out to Tracy. It's awesome. Yeah, she, she doesn't get as many pats on the back as she deserves. And I know she doesn't seek them. But uh, Tracy is the she's the bedrock of this organization, and um, she keeps hurting the cats and keeps these doctors going <laughs> in a in a direction of progress. Uh, so shout out to Tracy, Dr. Jake Hollowell, Dr. Tyler Evans, the guys who are you know champions on the board who are kind of stepping up to be you know the captains of those respective ships, and uh, you know to yes. to be working working together and you know also in these separate silos. I think it's cool. And organizationally, there's a lot of good things going on. Lots of opportunities. We always have our weaknesses and our areas for improvement. But I think we led with strengths this past weekend, and, and I, I got a lot out of it myself. So awesome. Next time we do this, Paul, you're going to be a DC. And Woo-hoo. so uh, your last official conference as a student, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I'm, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Any last words uh, you guys want to wrap up with? Any any key takeaways, last thoughts on on the weekend, or or you know things you want to leave the listening audience with as we wind her down? Yeah, I do have one. I, I want to give a giant thank you to Doctor Christopher Lee, who has been. I, I really don't think that a lot of docs who are out there practicing right now understand how much influence he has had in the growth in the past two years. He has been fronting money for students with polos for like seminars to help with grad plus loan disbursement. He's been hosting seminars on a day notice. Like, yeah, we want to have a primary this weekend. And then he cancels his plans and hosts one. He teaches us every week. Um, He really did deserve Blair Chiropractor of the Year. And all the students are just so thankful for him. And then especially Dr. Herman. So he has awesome. been a, a huge help. So it was very nice to see him get the recognition that, that he deserves. Yeah. yeah. And some folks are are more out there and vocal and seeking attention. And he's definitely not that, but he has been a, per, a persistent, consistent force for good behind the scenes. And uh, you're right. It doesn't go unnoticed. And Dr. Lee, I was so pleased to see him receive that award. And it's been a long time coming and just well, well-deserved. So congratulations, Dr. Chris Lee. I know that's um, you know, it's a small reward compared to seeing you guys be successful in the future, but it does, it does feel good to get a pat on the back every once in a while. So, so we honor Dr. Lee and Dr. Herman for, for their consistent presence for you guys. And, uh, many, many thanks. They've, you know, here's the thing I'll say about Dr. Lee. And this is just from when I was a student, I job shadowed with Dr. Lee 14th quarter. It's getting ready to go start my own practice. I talked to a lot of docs and they were like, yeah, man, you're going to crush it. Everything's Awesome. It's never been like your point. It's never been a better time to be a a, a chiropractor. Dr. Lee pulled me aside, showed me his practice expenses and said, let me just, let me just like bring you down to earth here and and show you exactly what it is that you're endeavoring to do Mm -hmm. and how much money it costs you to start and run a practice and how many patients you have to see. He kind of like had that 
come to Jesus moment. And he did it humbly and thoughtfully, but I really appreciated and never forgot him taking a minute to say, hey, by the way, in the real world, the way that this looks is like this. And, you know, the, the, that, that shows that he cares, yeah. right? People don't, people don't do that because they want to scare you, but because he was genuinely wanting to see me be in a position to succeed, to have my eyes wide open going into that endeavor, understanding that no one had had that conversation with me yet. And that made a, that made a big impact on me. And I, I truly, truly appreciated that. And that is the kind of person who cares in the way that Dr. Lee does. And, and um, you guys are, you are in really good hands. There are people that come on campus that are in it for them, you know, and you can smell that a mile away. Sometimes they're a little more slick, but he's not that guy. And uh, again, all the more reason why he deserves, you know, that pat on the back and many more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Cameron, any last words, thoughts as we uh, close out? No, if I keep talking, I'll probably screw it up. So we're just going to end it on a high note. That's good. Awesome. Hey, if you guys didn't make it, 2024, Orlando, Florida, we'll be back at the Margaritaville Resort right there by Disney. Um, Come with, you know, come with high expectations and come to learn and grow and to uh, be there with all of us together. In the meantime, keep an eye on BlairTechnique.com. There's like a freaking million seminars that go on. uh, So you can get exposed to this stuff if you're new to it. Uh, If you're reinvigorated and you want to kind of dial in a little bit, get to a seminar. You know, access some of these resources. I'll put the link for the thermography module, for the CBCT module, for Dr. Bearder's presentation, links to the podcast about Meniere's and cervicogenic dizziness and some of these topics we discussed, and uh, the prequel for Dr. Dan Murphy's notes will be available if you email me and request it at Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, thanks, guys, for taking a minute out of your night to, uh, to join me for a recap. Thank you. Yep. Hey, we just wanted to say thank you for listening to Atlas of Chiropractic. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Go ahead and subscribe to the show and turn on notifications so that you're the first to know about new episodes. Leave a rating and review to let others know how you really feel about the conversations we're having. And last thing, check the show notes for relevant links, contact info, and resources that we mentioned during this episode. 